What's up, Danny? You know, I'm just here, ready to dive into this. You know, at the comedy show we went to the other night, Dustin counted the times I snorted during the show. Yeah. What was the total count? What was our count, Dustin? Do we know? I'm pretty sure it was 13 or 14. (laughs) It wasn't a long show. It's a lot of snorts. (laughs) You were very snorty. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'll try not to snort today, but Emily, what are we talking about? What are we diving into? Uh, Hey, um, this is kind of a more maybe serious topic. So I won't be snorting. Great. Good enough. That's why I picked it. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to tell you a conversation I had, and then I want to unpack it together. Sure. Does that sound good? Yeah. So I was talking with my friend who he would say he like has already kind of gone through the deconstruction process and is out of it. Okay. And that he said something really interesting. He was he said he said Emily when like by you continuing to process through your church hurt and wrestle with the theologies that you no longer believe in. It feels to me sometimes like you're still letting those have power over your life. Mm. And so you actually haven't found true freedom because you're still like dwelling on the past instead of moving into the future in your new theology, in your new view of God. Mm. Um, and I thought I didn't like, I thought that had some really interesting points. Like I was like, I think there's probably truth to that, that I maybe not necessarily just, living in the future of like post deconstruction one because i don't think i'm through it whatever that means yeah but um but also it goes back to like i want to be open about this and i want to talk about it because i think it's healing for me and also i want other people to be invited on this journey but like what did you what do you think about that i thought that was a really interesting comment yeah so at its core am i understanding this right like kind of the comment is like because you're still talking about the pain or the process you're preventing yourself from moving through it is that the core kind yeah of? that's yeah. a good way to put it yeah I, I think i might have more thoughts on this but initially i go to what i would say is like a fallacy of that belief especially as christians because mm-hmm. like we're still dwelling on the wounds of christ and we're still talking about the pains and things that he goes through and like that's really formative for us and so because something hard happened and something traumatic happened doesn't mean that we're not like we still use that as the primary driver of our conversation of our faith and so i think for me there is some level of like like if someone hurt me and i'm still talking about it like and i'm holding a grudge whatever so if you're holding a grudge against deconstruction i think that's a different thing than saying like hey i'm looking at this and the things that happened and I'm seeing them through the lens of how it's informing my life and my faith today. So I think talking about it inherently isn't preventing someone from moving through it, I think, because I think a part of our faith is talking about how the wounds and the pains of the past inform the future that we're living into in the present that mm. we exist in. And so I don't know, I, I, I'll have to, let's talk more about it, but I'd say at the onset, I don't know that I agree with that. So I think, I think the question for today then is what, how do you find freedom from maybe like your church past and the ways that you've been hurt and wounded in the theologies that you're unlearning? Hmm. Um, I think that to me, that was the question that was posed to me and it's one I've been wrestling with because he, he was like, do you really think that what you're doing is the way to get to freedom by continuing to talk about it? Yeah. What do you think? (sighs) I 
I do think that where I'm at right now is an important part of the process and I don't want to rush it, but I, I don't completely disagree with him on the fact that I'm not necessarily living in to the new view of God I have and the new view of self I have. Hmm. Because instead I'm like talking about the journey. Yeah. That's interesting. I, so I don't know if this is relatable or not, but when I, I was working at a church uh, before I moved to St. Louis, and I really felt a call to full-time pastoral ministry. And the people that were the pastors there uh, did not agree with me. <laughs> and so I remember uh, like going to them and trying, someone on the board and I were trying to like move my position that was part-time into full-time, add some stuff on it, move towards like licensing and ordination and all that. Uh, and they just didn't see that in me. And I remember that really drove my story in a lot of ways, like from that moment. And, but there was a shift from being like, I was mad at these people and saying like, I'm doing this to spite them. You know, does that make sense to being yeah. like, I like, I'm actually pursuing a call to ministry still Ooh. not because I'm upset at them, but it was a catalyst for me to have to do some exploration to see like, am I actually called to this and is this something that I feel like God is in so I look at that like that was a painful hurtful moment for me and there was a lot in that and there was times where I was really really upset and hurt by it and I remember seeing a shift in the health of my ministry of acknowledge I've never forgot it and it's still a part of my story but I'm not pissed off at those people anymore Mm. and uh, that's a I think that's a very helpful story uh, to talk about it because I think it's absolutely okay and important to say that maybe wounds or harm or like something like that can be a catalyst for this process. But I mean, if you like every time you got up to preach on a Sunday, if you were like, screw these guys and then like went up and preached, there would be some issues. Yeah. I mean, another example from my life, I think about my divorce. Like Mm. there was times where I would like, I remember one of my first sermons post-divorce, I preached on it. And you preached on divorce. No, well, I preached about, I talked about my divorce oh, okay. and, and I talked about kind of like the idea of the dark night of the soul and how God still meets you in those moments. Mm. And I'll tell you, if I preached six months sooner, it would have been a different, darker sermon that wasn't as I think rooted in hope and grace, but I was in a place where I had, I wasn't fully healed from it. I'm still like processing those, but there is a level of like saying, how can I talk through this and still see grace in my faith? live through this and maybe the good that's coming out of the other side on the other side if i only preached about that like there are people that other now people know this right but there are people that maybe never know i was divorced because it's not something i preach about on a regular basis but for me there was actually healing that came and like talking about it from a public forum but also not doing it in a way to like i wasn't processing my hurt in front of people i was still preaching the hope of the gospel but talking about how that painful moment was a part of that right and how Mm. i saw jesus in that so when i think about deconstruction like i think talking about it it's about how we talk about it i don't think it's don't talk about it but i think it's how is it informing the conversation we're in and not do we or don't we because i think we should but how do we do we or don't we talk about it or yeah 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 i think we have i think we have to talk about it especially in terms of what we talked about for kind of the theme of this season it's like if it's going to be a movement it can't be silent it has to be vocal it has to be talked about it has to be done in the context of community so um yeah i don't know i I mean i think that our story and our pains in our past 
as it relates to deconstruction, but I can think of all the other places in my life, like the power has come not in silencing and ignoring it, but talking about it, naming it and finding God in the midst of it. Yeah. And I think, and maybe like to me, I see talking about it as a way, like, even if I like one of my friends use the example, he's like, Emily, you believe now that women should be allowed to preach. So why do you need to keep talking about the fact that like you were told that they weren't? Like, you already, like, you have changed your mind on that. Yeah. And I was like, yes. However, to me, I still feel like I need to talk about it because it's still, this is, I forgot this is what I said. This is, <laughs> I said, I feel like I still need to talk about it because if I don't acknowledge the fact that there are still things rooted in me and responses I have to myself that are from that place, then I feel like those can run unchecked. Yeah. Did you follow that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. And I, as you're saying that, I was thinking, I just met with a guy the other day who's uh, in AA and it's been sober for uh, several years. And the 12th step in AA is realizing that it's not just about your own recovery anymore, but it's helping others. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons you talk about it is there's someone else that hasn't moved into that space of healing yet and maybe didn't know they were allowed to. Or I think about women preaching, it's like a reason to continue to talk about it is because there's a little girl somewhere that doesn't realize she has the opportunity, if she feels called to, be a pastor. And so it's like we talk about these things not for our own self-interest, but to help others know they have a seat at the table. And I think, and maybe that is us, like, I guess I feel like if we were nervous to talk about it, that seems less free. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's... It's an interesting thing, and I get the point of, like, dwelling on anger, and I think sometimes I do that, I'll be honest. Like, I think I think that's a way that I need to grow. I, don't, I just don't know how to get free any other way, because I feel like it would be pretend if I just said, well, I'm going to stop thinking about it and just live in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a pretty future-oriented person, uh-huh. but it's still, like, that doesn't mean you ignore the present or the past. Like, you can't only be futuristic. You have to live in the present and have some level of where you've been as well. Because they're affecting you. Like, yeah. that's my thing is, like, our bodies hold our memories. And, like, we are shaped. I think we're shaped by our story and everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And if we don't talk about it, then to me, we're being shaped in ways we don't understand. Yeah. One of, have you ever done Strength Finders? Do you know that? Yeah. So one of my top seven is futuristic. Mm. And people that don't understand that one are like, all you care about is what's next. And a healthy person that's a futuristic person is someone that lets what they're seeing is the present and past, how it informs what the future could be. It's mm. not only dwelling on a fantasy of the future, but how the moments here and now in the past are informing the future. And I think that's what a healthy part of this conversation is. It's not trying to jump ahead to something later into a fantasy, but like how do these things that are past and present inform where we're going? Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, Dustin, we want to know your take on that. Do you think that it, do you think that the keep talking about it is keeping us from freedom? I mean, you must think there's some value in it because you keep producing our podcast. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's also money involved. (laughs) But uh, I don't. I think anytime anybody wants to silence anybody on any topic, I always want to know why. What's mm. what's so dangerous about this thing 
that we are not allowed to talk about it anymore because it's making you uncomfortable. Right. But I think for anybody that's got trauma or pain or working through anything, um, we're just supposed to bottle it up and just like Mm. hold it inside our brains and in our souls and in our heart. Like you just said, like the body, um, keeps score. I mean, when I first heard that, I was like, this is just some more gibberish self-help crap that someone came up with to sell books. But the more and more I've learned about it from neuroscientists and like all kinds. And I mean, I listen to a lot of neuroscientists. (laughs) Real, real. They're in my wolf pack. You know what I mean? No. Um, But I thought you were dead serious. I know. I I was like, good for him. (laughs) I have very, very smart friends. Um, but the more I've, I've heard in podcasts and whatever, like they're all agreeing that this, and it, and it makes sense. You're the human body. If the brain can hold on to traumas and all these things. So why wouldn't we talk about it? Why wouldn't we talk about it in therapy? Why wouldn't we talk about it with pastors and our faith leaders? Why wouldn't we talk about it with our friends and family? It's, I mean, I know that there's a lot of cultures and even in the U S a lot of folks that have families based in just keep it to yourself. Yeah. And that's I think that's damaging. It's why people do mass shootings. It's why because they didn't have anybody to talk to. They didn't anybody to go take a walk with and like well, unload. So that's yeah. my two cents. Yeah. I I thought you were gonna say that's why they do math. Um when you said math. Yeah. I was like, interesting. Um, I do I just go off I think it is interesting. Like I can't think of one time and this maybe sounds like really trite and obvious to say, but one time not talking about whatever it has, whatever it is, has made a situation better. Like, and I grew up in a, my family wasn't necessarily advocating for this, but I, not till my late twenties had very little desire to ever publicly talk about my emotions on anything. Mm. And I remember like in my late twenties being like, this got me nowhere. Like I am so unhealthy, uh, because I was suppressing and I was bottling and I was, uh, and I was trying to keep it to myself. And I think that's where conversations about like the whole the pastor thing and my divorce and other things that have happened since, like being able to talk about them has let those things not have power over me and me to be able to navigate them with more ease and grace. And I think as we think about this process, as Dustin, I think you said really well, it's like talking about it is what lets us, I think, navigate it and know we're not alone and have someone to like walk on with and to talk about and do this with. Yeah. I, and I think, I think you're right. I think talking about it, I was thinking about this a lot. Um, follow me for a second. My, I under, and my, I don't just to be clear, I don't think my friend was like trying to silence sure. me or like, I think he genuinely was like, I want you to find freedom. And it, I worry that you're not finding that through this. And I was like, I think that's a real worry. And thanks for sharing that. Like it was definitely out of care. But I was thinking about it um, actually through the lens of stand-up. Because if you think about the art of stand-up comedy, what we're doing is we're taking something and looking at it from every angle until it's absurd. And sometimes I think that that's what I'm doing with some of the theology I grew up with. Is I just keep looking at it and keep turning it over until I'm like, oh, this is... It loses its power when we can laugh at it and when we can see the weird things about it. And in a lot of ways, I think that is how we create stand-up comedy. And I think that is a lot of how I'm going through my deconstruction. Sure. Uh, can I ask the group a question here? Absolutely. Like, so if our friend is trying to, like, care, this person cares about you, and they're like, for I sure. just want to help you find freedom. I think an interesting question just for us to ponder, and maybe our listeners as well, like, what is freedom? Like, what, yeah. do, we, what do we, 
hunting for and maybe i don't want you to speak for this person if you don't feel comfortable but like what i wonder what their perception of freedom looks like and why you talking about it would prevent it but for us as a collective here like we're doing this because i think at its core we're helping people find abundant life in jesus and freedom and so like i would just be interested to hear this whole group's perspective like what is the freedom that we're pushing for or hoping to see on the other end Hmm. i think i think maybe the assumption with my friend is that freedom means to never think about it. Pure freedom means it's not in your brain. Hmm. And to me, freedom is it's in my brain and it lost power. Yeah. And I think that is maybe the difference. That's interesting. So to just freedom to erase it from your thought process. I wouldn't have thought about that. I think that's the assumption in he and I's difference in that conversation. So part of me being open about my deconstruction has been me being open about things that people have said to me that have been harmful to me. And I've had people that were in, there were church leaders in my past life say like, well, Emily, I feel betrayed that you shared that. And I guess I want to know your guys' take on that because that's so hard to navigate, right? Because, like, I mean, I think, right, Matthew 18, Jesus calls us to, like, if you have a problem with your brother, go to your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think part of being open in deconstruction is sharing your story and sharing the way you've been harmed. And, like, because, again, I think it makes people feel like they're maybe not the only one and not alone. And I think it exposes corruption, which is important. So where is that balance of, like, is sharing our story, is sharing something that someone said that harmed us, is that a betrayal? Like where, what's like hmm. the ethics of sharing your story, I guess. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's part of it. It's your story. Right. And so I think, and your story is intertwined with other people's story. Mine is. And so I think there's some discernment and like, what is appropriate when to share? Like, but I do think like sharing, I don't know the people that were offended at us. I don't know that necessarily, but I think there has to be some level of trust given for you to be able to share those things and understand that it's like, this is your story and your journey and for you not to talk about them for the sake of someone else's pride or feelings. If it's going to be at the detriment of your spirit and your journey, like that's not helpful. Right. And so I think, and I, I mean, if I don't know that you've said anything that's like highly offensive to other people, but you've shared things, right. And we've gone along things. I'm sure you've said things like in that, but I think, this has to be seen through the context of like, how are you being kind of transformed by Jesus and how is this journey, a journey of your faith. And so not to say something for the sake of someone else, if it's going to harm you, like that seems like it would be counterproductive. Um, but again, there's wisdom and like, um, there are certain things that I know that have happened in my past that I've been on the tip of my tongue. Like, Hey, I'm going to share this thing. And I haven't to certain degree cause I know that it would be more hurtful to that person for me to share it and I've already healed through it. So I don't need to talk about it. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so like to share it just so like everyone knows every piece of my story, that's unhelpful. Mm, mm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That that's tricky because it's like, and also, I mean, I think there's wisdom in like, you don't need to give their full name and social mm. security number, right? Like, 
you can yeah. share your story without maybe like outing another person. Yeah. You said this really early on that it was like you felt like you owed people your story uh, when you walked into church. Yeah. And mm. and I think that relates to this. And I'm like, you don't owe people your story. You don't owe people that. But there is like, what are the things that are going to be helpful for me and not harmful to others as I'm processing through this? And sometimes that means sharing things and calling things out. And cause scripture does say like, you got to call out sin where you see it. Right. But it doesn't, it says, don't be, a, it doesn't say don't be a jerk, but it's like, but don't be a jerk when you do it. And so I think there's, but it's a fine line, right? It's, there's going to be feathers that are ruffled and it's going to be a hard journey. And that's where I think wisdom and discernment come in. But I would go back to like, if it's not helpful, if it's harmful to you to not share it, then it's like, you have to start doing some work to be like, what is, mm. what is the, the most healthy thing for everyone involved an opportunity does arise though like let's have a conversation about it like so i think that's where this there's beauty in it it's like hey i feel like you've whether it's through a format like this or someone's like i heard you said this thing it's like well, let's talk about it like this did actually cause hurt in my heart and my soul and like so like or it was a really good thing right like whatever the thing is but it's like it creates an opportunity for us now to have a conversation and either deepen or restore repair or maybe end a relationship that needs to do any of those things. But like, I think it creates an opportunity to do something in that. Yeah. And I'm thinking about you like posted a TikTok of like me talking about how I don't know anyone, my story and your like caption was just like, you own the rights, which is just like a cute caption. But I was thinking about like, Oh, part of owning the rights is owning the parts that other people are a part of in the yeah. story. Um, but that's scary and nerve-wracking. Yeah. And, and what you're saying about it opens up the conversation. It does. But sometimes I don't want to have a conversation. Sure. And maybe I am not required to. Yeah, I think... It, I I know I'm talking to an Enneagram 8, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think it does open up the potential. But yeah, it's like it may not be something you're interested in doing or that they're interested in doing. But I think one of the things that I find detrimental to a lot of our attempt to live life in community together is we, we skirt conversations or we don't want to have those interactions or we're nervous about whatever. And we don't have those hard conversations. And I think there's a lot of joy, uh, that comes like I, a great example. I have a hard conversation coming up today that I don't necessarily want to have with somebody. Uh, and I have it later and I'm like, I was, I had like chest tightness on my way here thinking mm -hmm. about doing it later today, but it's a conversation that I would be doing a disservice to both of us by not having. Mm. And I think that's where the wisdom has to come in. It's like, it may give me a little bit of anxiety, but it's not going to harm me to have the conversation. It's not going to harm this person. So that's where you have to do the work to say like, is it going to harm me at this point to have the conversation? And I think if the answer is no, we talked about this before, like being comfortable isn't being comfortable isn't necessarily part of embracing the journey. And so maybe there's conversations that have to be had. Uh, you said it, not me, sister. Uh, <laughs> but I think like, but if it's going to harm you, then it's like, then that's a space you have the right to say, I don't have to engage in this. Okay. Like, like you helped me navigate a situation where I was like, I don't know if it would be helpful to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. And I think that that was okay to say. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't think, I don't think we would come to it and actually find healing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, in, in all of this and maybe trying to tie a bow on this, like the spirit of how we engage in the conversation is going to dictate how the conversation goes hmm. on both sides. Like if I'm, I had a conversation with someone yesterday about my theology of LGBTQ inclusion and they disagreed with me, but we had a really, I thought wonderful conversation. We had a really fruitful conversation because neither of us was trying to convince the other person, but it was a really open and honest conversation about how we've landed, where we've landed. And there was grace extended. If that conversation was like, Hey, I'm going to tell you why you're an idiot. Then we wouldn't have had a good conversation. And Mm. the, so the spirit of it was one based on trust and friendship. Uh, but also like, we've talked about this before curiosity. Like I want to be curious to see what you're actually saying and not saying, I'm just here to prove you wrong. We've lost the the nuance of real conversation. Like we're we're the kings of hot takes on popular opinions and truth bombs. That's what we do. And it's like, <laughs> but it's like we don't have a lot of curiosity in conversation. We have a lot of mic drops. Is how we've learned to talk in the last which five is, years. Which is innately defensive. Like yeah. it's I'm going to say this, and I'm saying it in this way so that you can't respond to me. People. There's been a year of my life where I would say very normal opinions and people are like, why aren't you saying that? Like, it is the hottest take ever. Mm. Like, I would just be like, hey, guys, I just want to say pizza's great. And then like, they were like, okay, Emily, like, why do you need to do that? Because I think that's how we're, it's harder yeah. to say, I think pizza's great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't my, know. My favorite post I do is about twice a year on Facebook and it has not stopped getting outstanding responses. I say that my favorite or that hot dogs are 100% sandwiches. And it's one of my favorite. It's because it's not like people forget it, but they're so angry at the hot take. They're like, I have to re-engage. But that's a funny, we do that with our, like all of our stuff. We're uh-huh. like, this is the definitive truth. Yeah. And I'm not giving you any level to engage in the conversation. Though, if we want to talk about it, hot dogs are sandwiches. I just want to throw that out there. Do you think Pop-Tarts are raviolis? I think that's a stretch. <laughs> But, that's the same. Do you think water's wet? This one is important. Uh, I watched a, a video of some... Uh, what do you think? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> but you care the hot dogs or sandwiches? This is yeah. derailing. So I went on my, I went to Chicago. Water is not wet. Sure. There's something about the hydrogen and the... Uh, yeah. No, uh, it, it creates the wetness. Sure. I was going to Chicago and there was a restaurant, sandwich shop. And they had all their different types of things. And under sandwiches was hot dogs. It was definitive. And I just, I just said, like, it's landed. So your opinion can't be enough. It was substantiated by. Oh, okay. Okay, confirmed. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Do we need to be, do we need to wrap this up? (laughs) (laughs) Dustin is going, he's wrapped up. It's turned into like a hate speech on hot dogs and sandwiches. I mean, I just think hot dogs are gross, so. Oh, really? It's one of my favorite. We can, I could talk forever on this. One of my favorite foods. Have you been to Steve's Hot Dogs? Never heard of it. It's like a big hot dog place oh, okay. in South City. Hope you know. Oh, I have. It's by the Moped <laughs> Shop. They have really good they hot dogs. They have dogs. a comedy open mic there. I don't know. That. All right, Emily. Okay. What's our final thought? What's our takeaway? Final thought. I guess I want to say... You do what you need to do to take power away from things that have harmed you. Mm. And I don't, I think that for me, I'm going to say personally, if I were to just not talk about it and not acknowledge, I would actually be giving my past a weird level of power. Mm. And so for me, talking about it is the process of taking power away. And to me, that is how I find freedom. But I think that looks different for everybody. Mm. Yeah. 
I think it's just popped in my mind. Like, as we talk about this, what, what's our tagline as we end this every time? Embrace the journey. Right. We don't ignore the journey. We embrace oh. it. We grab it, right? We Woo. embrace it and we hold on to it. And I think to we're not pushing it away. And I think part of this journey is naming it and embracing it. And I think that's my encouragement for it. Like it's going to not always be exciting and fun. It might be hard, but we're embracing this because it's a part of the journey. I also don't think quick side note. I also don't think we're like trying to sell the journey. Like I think like in that same conversation, my friend was like, why are you wrapping a bow on this really hard thing and selling it to people? And I was like, I am not, Mm. I think it happens. And I think we want to talk about it. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I don't think we're like, do it like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're deconstruction peddlers, uh, but speak for yourself. No, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> but I do think there's a high level of conversation, like narrative around the conversation that was like, we're just not going to talk about this. Mm. Um, like mm. when I was an undergrad, we called this like, uh, like we just named this whole thing postmodernism. And like, we had <laughs> talked about it, like we were going about it, like we wrote a bunch of books about it. And I think like, I don't know, I think we're in a different well, this is, just, this is just the Reformation. Yeah. I mean, that's what this is over and over again. That yeah. it? <laughs> just put so much in perspective for me. That was like the biggest postmodernism was like, ooh. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. yeah, you respond to that like way hotter than I thought you were going to. And so I, I think it's good. But like, I think that like we, I remember thinking about it and it was like, I remember professors and people being like, this is the sin that's going to come. And now we've kind of just, and I think that, Dustin, you said this before. Like, we've essentially just renamed and rebranded and repackaged the season of what we're calling this. But what I've enjoyed about it is that we're not selling it to anyone. We're just saying there's freedom in talking about it. And I know I've spoken to people who have said, like, I went through this a long time ago and there wasn't a word for it. And it's been cool to listen, even though I've already gone through it, because even, like, that's healing to the old me who did feel alone. Mm, Just super dope. Super dope. Okay. Um, Thanks for listening and embrace the journey. 